And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Welcome to another Fastened Like Nails. I'm Mark Hamby. In the studio with me, Molly Mayo. Hello. And Colin Smith. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so guys, we just wrapped up um, the previous one. We talked about... First Kings chapter six, we got into it, but then we went to chapter five and we talked about don't despise the day of small things, about the little things that God wants us to do, which is humility, which mm-hmm. is very big in God's eyes um, because it stamps out pride mm-hmm. and then God can do a work. Um, the two ladies, were, young ladies were with us, um, Ruth Ann and Emily, and we had some really good examples. If you haven't heard that particular segment, I would say go back and listen to this one, the other one first. And then join us with this one. This is in 2 Kings chapter 6. I started out in the last one saying this was the worst thing that's ever happened in all of the Bible. Mm. And it's in chapter 6. I'm going to tell you what it is. But then we're going to backtrack and and set everything up to get back to where we're going to end on this uh, horrific scene in 2 Kings chapter 6, which is the king king of Judah. Um, They're being besieged by the king of Syria. And um, it's Judah, right? Is it Judah or Israel? It's Israel in the north, I think, right? Israel in the north. Yep. So the king of Israel is, um, and I'm not even sure who it is. I think it's jo- Jotham. Not sure. Uh, yeah, Ahab was Ahab was there, and now we're looking at um, yeah the king of Israel. And so this is what happens. They were setting the stage here. Um, there's a woman, and she's wailing on the on the rooftop here. And the king overhears her, and he, he looks up at her and says, what, you know, what ails you? And she looks down, and she says to the king, you know, and they're in the middle of this famine, they're in the middle of this siege, and they can't get food in, There's, they're lacking water. And the woman says to the king, my, my girlfriend here, the two of us made a pact, and we said I would eat, we would eat my son last night, and tonight we would eat her son. And just even 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 sharing something so just detestable as this is just kind of mm-hmm. so utterly gross. But it's in the Bible and it's there for a reason. And I don't want to focus on the goriness of this, but let's focus on the theology of it. What what's what's being taught here? So this is a pretty reprehensible moment in you know Israel's history that they were so hungry that they were willing. So not just so hungry, so hungry and so evil that they were willing to eat mm-hmm. their own children, which is I can't. I can't fathom that, mm-hmm. you know, in all of the world, I can't fathom that having, happening today. But it happened. It's not just a story. It happened. And the woman, you know, looks down at the king and the king says, you know, I can't believe this. And the woman says, you know, she promised me that we would, and she's not even thinking correctly. She promised me. She's upset because she can't eat the other child. This is crazy. It's mm-hmm. cannibalism. And, um, and then the king tears his, his clothing and cries out, <laughs> and this is what he says. This is, uh, this is a typical uh, leader who's going to place the blame on other people. Um, <clears throat> the, king, the king yells out and says, this 24 hours will not pass, um, verse 30, and it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold, sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, God do so more to me, God do so more and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. So Mm. he said like, 
before this day ends, Elisha's going to be dead. I'm going to take his head off. And that's typical of leaders when something goes wrong, they pass the blame on other people. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not accepting that it's his leadership. In fact, the reason this whole thing is happening is because of him. That's what Elisha's been trying to tell him. You need to repent. Mm -hmm. And he's unwilling to repent. And as a result of the horrific things that are happening in his kingdom, he's now going to blame Elisha for what's taking place rather than himself. And boy, I I was Mm -hmm. saying that in my business class today. You know, a a good leader is going to take responsibility. I was a good friend of mine said that in church, a couple people, they were disciplined, they left the church, and then more people left the church, and then the, the pastor and the elders got together and realized that they needed to be, they needed to repent. They needed to come before their congregation and say, you know, we've been too busy mm-hmm. not spending enough time with the flock, getting to know your hearts, mm-hmm. and we repent. And um, they're having a revival in the church right now. But <clears throat> this horrific story is the ending of what God is trying to teach us where we need to now go back to the beginning of chapter 6 or even before that and bring the theology of what God's trying to teach. We got the, the floating axe head where the axe head falls into the water. We've got the, the bitter and poisonous soup in which something's got to be put in the pot to take the poison out of it. Um, we've got the, um, the leprosy of, uh, of Gehazi. Um, so a lot of things that we've got the woman at the, um, um, with the, um, the oil in, in the jars. So Colin, we've got a lot of things taking place here that leads up to this really mm-hmm. horrendous ending in chapter 6. So what is God trying to teach us through all of these? Are, am I missing anything else? We've got the— I have a question. What caused this famine? The king refused to repent when Elisha told him that, that you need to turn back to God. And instead, um, he— became prideful, and he wouldn't listen to Elisha. And so God sent the famine in the land and sent mm-hmm. the army to, to besiege them so mm-hmm. that they would be surrounded by their enemies. And, and that's what, how God deals with us today. God brings adversaries in our lives. He surrounds us with difficulty to get our attention. So it wasn't the people's fault at all. It was the leadership? Like, like that was the, the root of it well, in the beginning? it's the leadership, but then they all, they're also responsible. I mean, these two women, you know, they're acting depraved, you know, they also weren't turning to God. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes it's a leadership listening to the people, like mm. in the case of Saul. Yeah. Saul was listening to the people and not to God. Mm. So at some key point, people are listening to either bad leadership mm-hmm. or the leadership is listening to the people. But at some place, there's a disconnect and they're not following God. They're following their own ways. And this is, I think this is part of a theme in this book, is blindness. Mm. So if you look... Um, a lot of it has to do, too, with um, foreigners. The foreigners are all getting blessed. Mm-hmm. And the people of Israel are all, you know, the foreigner, the, the widows, uh, she's getting blessed. You got Naaman getting blessed. You got these Syrians in chapter 6 mm-hmm. who come in and they get struck <clears throat> with blindness. And then they're healed. And I think the irony here is that they're blind. Mm-hmm. And God heals their blindness and then they feast. Mm-hmm. And then you have this feasting on their own offspring that they're doing Mm. and they're too blind to realize what they're doing and the king is too blind to realize what the real problem is. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so only God is going to give sight to the blind 
And that requires humility and submission to him and following him and submitting to his ways, which they're unwilling to do. Okay, so let's let's start this right back to the beginning. So chapter 6, you have these prophets, the school of prophets. They're a little scared that their house has um, been contaminated with leprosy, so they want to go build a new house. They're building it by the Jordan. That's all in chapter 5, now moving into chapter 6. And as they're building their house, a guy with an axe, the head of the axe falls off the the handle and goes into the Jordan River and he yells out, what am I going to do? It's borrowed, you know? And so he's really, really upset about it. A couple things. Number one, iron is very rare for Israel. Mm. And two, if something is borrowed and you lose it, you know, sometimes, you know, the scripture teaches you got to pay it back fourfold. Mm. So, so there's some, you know, they're poor. They don't have a lot. So Colin, what's the first theological principle here in the lost axe head? Oh, um, and, what, well, and what does he do with this? How does Elijah bring the axe head up? Oh, well, you see, you have the axe head is missing and he can't see it. And it's raised up, kind of like runs you the, middle, the widow's son. Hmm. It's missing, but it's not lost. But then you have this principle of the prophet always tells people, the prophet Elijah always hmm. tells people to do something. Hmm. He lets them do it. You, what, what were they supposed to do? Well, with the axe head, uh, specifically, he tells them, he gives them some instructions and he tells them that they're supposed to take this, uh, cut down a tree, and they're supposed to take this stick. And so he took the stick and he threw it in where the axe head was, and it made the iron float. Mm. So they had to be involved in the miracle. Yeah, and the same thing is true with the oil in chapter, was it, three and four, and the widow's son. Mm. And the same thing is true with Naaman. He has to go and dip himself. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true over and over again. You see this happening. That's it's pretty weird, though, right? Like, cut off a stick and throw it in there. Bada 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 ba. There's an axe. In the axe floats. Yeah. I wonder if the stick sunk and the axe floated. Right. Yeah. And it was just the axe head that floated that was dropped, not the whole axe. So it was missing the stick base. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like most axes. The axe head can come off. It's like a separate piece. Hmm. And when it gets loose or it cracks, it comes off. That's why I tell people never stand in front of someone that's. Well, this is yeah. this is this is as a dad. This is uh, all dads will know this spiritual principle: never lend someone your tools. <laughs> <laughs> never. It, this also reminds me of when Jesus performed the miracle of the turning the water into wine. Mm. He gave the servants the responsibility of going filling up the water pots to the brim. They yep. had to be involved in it. They were the only ones that would have seen the miracle. By the way, if you're not in, if you're not doing something, if you're not involved in the work, mm-hmm. you're not going to you're not going to see or be impressed or enjoy the miracle that takes place. Mm. So when you're doing something, you get the benefit and the blessing yep. of seeing what God's going to do. Okay, so the axe head is number one. There's something that is missing something that is unseen mm-hmm. they have to be involved the miracle the axe head raises mm-hmm. that's miracle number one here in chapter six what's the next one so in the next one you have the blind the blinded syrians uh and that whole story okay so we set the stage the uh elisha is sleeping and the servant wakes mm-hmm. up in the morning and uh, this is a new servant right this is not the servant that got leprosy Mm-hmm. Okay, so another servant, and Elisha's got to train him now. He's got to mentor him mm-hmm. to trust in this amazing living God who's so powerful. So Elisha's sleeping. The, the servant goes out, and he sees all of this army of Syria surrounding the house. And they're coming after Elisha because the king of Syria is really upset because every time he made a move, he'd be checked and the king goes to his servants and says, okay, one of you is a spy. Who is it? I'm going to kill you. 
Mm. And the servant goes to the king and says, "Um, none of us are spies, my lord. Um, It's that Elisha prophet guy down in Israel. He keeps telling the king everything that you're going to do. And the king goes, well, we'll see about that. Let's go and find this this Elisha character and let's kill him. Mm-hmm. So the Syrian army is surrounding the house. They're upon the mountainsides all the way around, all the way to the house. The servant walks out, sees this entire army, runs back inside, wakes up Elisha. My Lord, my Lord, we're surrounded. You know, and Elisha comes out and he sees something that the servant doesn't see. He sees the army of God, and he Mm. makes this amazing statement and says to his servant, those who are with us are greater than those who are outside here. Mm. And all of a sudden, Elisha asks God to open his servant's eyes so that he might see. Hmm. And when he opens his servant's eyes, he sees the chariots of fire. Can you imagine what that might have looked like? Mm. Um, really cool. It reminds me of the story, the true story of Gladys Allward. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the story goes, she was bringing 200 Chinese orphans across enemy lines, Japanese on one side, the Chinese on the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote a letter to the both generals and said, I need to take the children through the valley to on the other side to get water. They wrote a note back to her and said, if you do, you will be considered uh, part of the enemy and we will destroy you. She wrote a letter back and said, no, you won't. Mm. My God will fight for me. I love that. Amazing. <laughs> My God will fight for me. Was that, uh, did you say Gladys Allward or Amy Carmichael? Gladys Allward. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And as, uh, you know, there's a movie I think called The Inn of Sixth Happiness that describes just a little bit of this, but um, the story uh, goes on that um, she marches with her in front, 200 Chinese orphans behind her, and then you, and according to um, what it's said, the historical count, both the Japanese and Chinese armies fled opposite directions because what they saw that day was her surrounded by what they call stainless steel tanks breathing out fire, mm. you know? Oh. And uh, I can just picture picture the angels, the angelic host with swords drawn, you know, and fire coming out of them and, mm. you know, going out toward the armies and both armies fleeing and Gladys and the little kids walking across the valley to get water. Mm. Mm. That's the kind of God we serve. We serve a God with unlimited power, unlimited resources. Mm. And we started off with the axe head that sunk. And they're Mm. so minimalistic in their trust in a powerful God that they're like, I lost my axe head. What am I going to do? All he can think about was the lost axe head. Mm -hmm. He's not thinking about the power of God. You know, the... uh, the guy gets leprosy. Oh, we got to build a new house. We got to get away from this, you know. Um, before that, Gehazi. Um, yeah, you just got healed of leprosy, but I'd like a couple talents of silver and some clothes out of this deal. You know, all they're thinking about is themselves and what they can lose mm. or what they can gain, but not about the power of God. Mm. That brings us to the next story, yes. which is what? Um, we're coming to the story. So we've got the axe head. Yep. We and just we're did. coming to the story of the blinded Syrians. So this is one of my favorite parts of the story. So so Elisha <laughs> blinds the entire army. I love This is kind of fun. If you read it, it's just kind of funny. Mm. Talk about God's sense of humor. And Elisha goes out there and says, um, you're looking for the wrong person over here. I need to, he's over here. Follow me. 
And so Elisha has the whole army follow him. They're all blind. Just picture this in real life. I mean, this actually <laughs> happened in real life. They're, they're following Elisha, the person they came to kill. And Elisha, so they don't know what he sounds like. Mm. And Elisha takes them all the way to Samaria in the center of the king's army. So here is the enemy in the middle of the king's of the king of Israel's army, and uh, and they're all there. The whole Syrian army, they're all there, and uh, the king of Israel says, "What shall we do with them?" And uh, and Elisha opens the eyes of all of the blind Syrian army, and mm. the men realize they're they they who surrounded Elisha are now surrounded by the army of of Israel, mm-hmm. and uh, the king of Israel. What shall we do with these, my my master and lord, Elisha? And Elisha says, feed them, have a banquet, take care of them, send them home. That's crazy. Mm. That makes more sense because, like, before they had the whole host of angels and you think, like, why didn't he just end it there? Like, you're done. And then he was like, come on, come this way. I have a better idea. (laughs) And then it wasn't a second destruction for the people, it was the love that they wanted to be shown. Mm. Colin, let's let's draw some theology out of this. Uh, this is one of my favorites. What do you think? Sure. Um, we're talking about the story of the blind. Um, we have this, the case in which you have spiritual blindness is always um, kind of um, associated with, with physical blindness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think the king is spiritually blind mm. and he's not cured. He remains blind. and And that's prompted by a feast, a really gross feast between two women. Well, before the... And then you have a spiritual blindness on the part of the... We have a physical blindness on part of the foreigners, and they're they're made to see, and then they feast. Okay, but let's back up there. Before we get to the the gross celebration with the two women, before that, you've got um, the king, who Mm -hmm. is, like you said, spiritually blind. Mm -hmm. He wasn't there when when, uh, he saw Elisha surrounded. Yep. You know, so he doesn't know the whole story yet. That, and then the uh, then the servant having his eyes opened to see the majestic, powerful army of God. Yeah. So he knows. Like, can you imagine? Just think for a moment. We go outside here today, and this whole campus is surrounded by the army of God. Hmm. If you, Molly, mm-hmm. if you saw that just for sixty seconds, you saw what they really look like. Mm-hmm. Faces like lions. Swords with flames coming out of them, flames that go up 100 feet in the air. You know, these guys are like, you know, 20 feet tall, let's say. They're huge. Mm -hmm. You know, if you saw them, the military might of the angelic host of heaven here, Mm -hmm. what kind of impression would that leave on your life today? Yeah, I know that would be huge. I I don't know. I. I don't think I would be able to stand it. I think I'd just like run back in the chapel and shut the door. <laughs> like five seconds. I'd be like, this is terrifying. Something really, really bad is going to happen. But, okay. No, but what if they looked at you and winked and said, like, I'm on your side? Yikes. <laughs> so what if they were there and you just couldn't see them? Oh, no, they are here. Mm. They are here, by the way. Mm. No question. Interesting. Yeah, they're here. There's no question in my mind that they're not here. I've seen it too many times. I've seen the extraordinary God that does things that are unexplainable, unexpected, mm-hmm. beyond comprehension and imagination. I think it probably would like change your perspective on things quite a bit. Like when we were even just seeing Pilgrim by Rise Collective, you know, they were showing like the the, the battle that was going on behind the scenes with 
the character Christian. And I remember seeing that and being like, whoa, it's something you don't often think about mm-hmm. that there's this whole spiritual fight going on. You know, I don't tend to think about angels fighting, but I mean. Mm. Well, not, not, not just that, though. So when we had this group called uh, Arise Collective. They came here to a little town of Mount Morris. Okay. Yeah. This was their second presentation, second or third presentation. I'm not sure. I think it was their second or third presentation. They had just gone down to Lancaster. They came here as a group of like 55 actors and all together around 80 of them, yeah, you know, yeah. um, technicians, singers, actors. Mm. Amazing. And they were, they were going to do Pilgrim's Progress in this little town of Mount Morris, little, at Lamplighter um, campus. We have this old school. It's got a theater upstairs and a gym. Mm-hmm. You know, we can pack in a few hundred people maybe, you know. And, yeah. and the first night, 86 people showed up. And I was a little disappointed, you know. And I remember them praying. And he said to me, he goes, he goes you just wait. God, God will do something. Mm. We, they just knew it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, okay, I believe you. And then the second night, 150 people showed up. Mm. That was Friday night. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. You know, there's still a lot of empty seats in there. And and then mm. the third night, 250 people showed up. Mm. And I'm like, whoa. And I thought, okay, well, we don't have any more seats. So I thought, mm-hmm. okay, Lord. And I felt like that moment where he says to the, he says, um, go and shoot your arrow into the ground. And he shot it three times. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, if you would have shot it like seven times or 30 times, that's how much more you would have been able to be blessed mm-hmm. in conquering your enemies. And so that night we ended up getting 100 extra chairs, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we don't use them all. But maybe we will. That night we filled the auditorium with 350 people showed up on the next day. Mm. Yeah, altogether, 800 people showed up in this little town of Mount Morris. And it was like, there's nothing too difficult for God, you know? Yeah. And so here is, uh, you know, here is this king who's blind and how, what a parallel that is for s- Christians today. You know, how big is your God? There's a book, Molly, that you read not too long ago, When People Are Big and God is Small. Mm-hmm. Um, someone was saying at lunch today, you know, show me, um, show me your dreams and I'll show you how big your God is. Mm. Mm. S- mm. Yeah, show me what you can dream. Show me, show me how big your God is. Is he? Is he's this vast God that can do anything, and so here's this king who's blaming Elisha because of the difficulty that they're going through in their kingdom, mm-hmm. not realizing that if he would be willing to humble himself, God would lift him up and do the great things that are needed and restore the kingdom again. Mm-hmm. And here they are in a famine under siege, and all he can think about doing is blaming, not able to see the invisible God. Yep. Absolutely, and, that, and that's a leadership principle. Um, he's more focused on blaming someone for the problem than he is seeking God for the answers. Mm. You know, he's not looking to God. He's looking around and thinking, yeah. who is going to take the blame for this? Yeah. Mm. I think as Christians we do that. We think, who's going to take the blame for this? Someone's got to take the blame for this. Mm-hmm. When the reality is, um, you know what? We should look at it and say, what's God doing? Mm-hmm. Where's he working? What's he teaching us? What's he trying to teach me personally? What's he trying to teach me personally? Yeah. How is he working here? How can he be seen here? Yeah. And I think in the two stories, there's these two stories that are kind of parallel. You know, you got this story of a king, right? And then the king is going to get mad at the prophet and try to arrest the prophet in both stories. Then the power of the Lord is going to show up mm. in a major way. In both of these parallel stories, 
And then what's going to happen is there's going to be this miracle concerning the army, and then it follows by food and blessing. Mm. Hmm. And so it, it's really about the Lord showing up. Hmm. And I think a lot of times as leaders, if you're interested in blaming other people and not looking for the Lord to show up, mm. who are you really interested in promoting, yourself yeah. or God? Yeah, mm. that's really good. That really is it, isn't it? How big is your God, and is he going to show up? And if you're, if you're leading in anything in life, you've got to be able to demonstrate that God is real in your life. Yeah. And the way to demonstrate that the best is to recognize that I really don't have all the answers, but God does. Yeah, if, if God shows up, we can worship him. Hmm. If he shows up in a big way and delivers us, we can give him all the credit. But if my ingenuity and my skill mm-hmm. show, then we can worship me. I think a lot, of, a lot of times if we can blame someone else too. So we take – I mean bad leadership takes credit for other people's successes mm-hmm. and blames other people for their failures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think good leadership looks to Christ and says, I, we need you to show up. And then when he shows up, point everyone to that so everyone can rejoice. I love what James says. You have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss yeah. because you want to consume it upon your own lusts. Yes. There's this wonderful line in this song Andrew Peterson wrote. Remember this, your favorite song, one yeah. of your favorite songs? Mm-hmm. When they talk about is God working in our midst? Is he moving in our midst? Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. He, he is. <laughs> That's what we're looking he for. Is. I love it. When we love him and we worship, we want to see him working in our midst. Mm-hmm. And I think people who lose focus of that, yeah. whether it be leaders or followers, you start to, to look horizontally and you forget to look up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a book called Extraordinary Little Maid. If you've never read this book, I know this sounds like an advertisement, um, but I'm promoting it because it is an extraordinary book. Mm. I found it about 10 years ago, and uh, we went to London right after I read the book. I, we printed it, and I said, this is going to become an audio drama. And mm. I wanted to, I wanted to um, record it with the um, British actors, mm. and it was extraordinary. I mean, I'm not just using it as a play on words. But it was extraordinary, the, um, the crying, the tears of the actors in the sessions. It was so authentic because it was so moving. This mm-hmm. little girl, she reads this, hears this story, um, a maid in England. She hears the story about um, Naaman, the prophet, Naaman, the, the military general, of how a little, a little Jewish maid yeah. tells him about this great prophet. Yep. You know, and this prophet Elisha, and uh, he goes to him, and, he, and he's healed. And and uh, she is now going to act out the rest of the story in her life. She wants to become a little maid like the little Jewish girl in the yeah. in the Bible story. And um, the whole story is about her becoming finally the maid, and she's being a maid to a military man. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to learn the same lessons that um, Naaman had to learn. Yeah. And it is extraordinary. So if you've never read the book or listened to the audio drama, I I think the audio drama is maybe better than the book. Hmm. Um, it's a li- we've changed it a little bit. It's called Extraordinary Little Maid. Um, it's, it's something you want to read to your whole family, listen to it in the car, but it, is, uh, it, really, it really draws this story out on Second Kings of what, yeah. great God we ser- what a great God we serve. And, and the amazing thing about God that I love is he, he's huge and massive and grand, but he cares about the little things. Hmm. Think about it this way. If God cares enough to make an axe head float, if you call out to him, does he care enough to give you hmm. food so you don't eat your baby? Hmm. But that's what we are. We're willing to do something so wretched and horrible mm-hmm. and not call out to God. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we're blind and we don't see he loves us and mm-hmm. cares for us. He provides oil to pay debts. He takes care of the little things like poisonous food. He takes little axe head. He cares about even an that's axe really head. That's really good. 
So why wouldn't he care about your baby? And, and why don't you cry out to him? And he could even do the big things like taking yeah. an entire army, blinding them, and then feeding yeah. them and sending them home. Exactly. Yeah. And he feeds them. Yeah. But he cares about his creation. He cares about us. So he cares about the little things. And mm-hmm. we, we, we come to these huge things and we think he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And we forget all the little things he's taking care of along the way. So how do, how do people get back mm. to not just, you know, Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please yeah. God. Mm-hmm. How do we strengthen our faith muscles? Mm. So faith is a gift of God. And I think humility, mm. just crying out to him. You have to believe he's, he's, he exists and he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Mm. That's faith, right? Mm-hmm. Hebrews says that. So he's going to reward you when you seek him. So if, if you fall on your knees and you cry out to him, you can expect that he's real and he rewards those who do that. In Hebrews uh, chapter 5, let me see if I can get it here real quickly. Hebrews 5, verses uh, 13 and 14, it says this. I'm going to read 12, 12 on. Uh, for, mm. for when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again mm. um, the first principles of the oracles of God, or the word of God, and are become, you've become such as need of milk. You're like a baby. Mm. Um, and you, what you need, he says, is strong meat right now. How do you, how do you develop the the real tastes of the word of God, the truths of the word of God. He says this, for everyone who uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. Mm. There's a lot of spiritual babies today that just have never grown up. They've they've not sunk their teeth into the word of God. They've not really challenged their muscles. I'm I'm going through physical therapy. I hurt my rotator cuff recently Mm. um, playing playing ball, and, and I'm getting... I'm getting back, you know, yeah. and I've got to do a lot of exercises, but it's painful to do those exercises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, people that are not in, aren't in the Word of God, they're not studying, it takes exercise. And this is what it says. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Here it goes, ready? Even those who by reason of the use or even by those, let me just read it, I'll show you what it says in the ESV version, because I think it actually explains it a little bit better here. It says, for solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice Mm. to distinguish good from evil. You know, constant practice, that's what it takes. Mm. And then when you're constantly practicing, all of a sudden you spread your wings a little bit. You know, a, a a figure skater who gets up there trying to do that triple. You know, they keep doing the double. They get the double, but the triple, they just keep falling down, falling down. Then all of a sudden, they get up there. They've exercised enough where they get up there and they do it for the land it for the first time. That's the way it is with God. You mm-hmm. know, you, you, you spread your wings a little bit, those, your spiritual wings of faith, and you test it. You test these wings to see whether or not the invisible air is going to keep you afloat. And mm-hmm. you say to God, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this. And all of a sudden, you start you realizing that that invisible air is holding you up and you're like, whoa, God's keeping his word. God's answering my prayers. Yeah. God's doing this. And you just keep taking a little bit more steps, a little bit more steps, hiding more of his promises in your life. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you become a partner with the God of the universe, partnering in his divine nature, escaping the lustful corruptions that are in the world. And then all of a sudden joy returns and you're walking with God and you're realizing once Again, nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Well, another Fasten Like Nails. Thanks for listening again where we're attempting 
to um, bring the words of delight, truth, and wisdom so that they might be fastened like nails in your hearts and ours today. We'll look forward to doing this again. God bless. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit fastenedlikenails.net and fill out the form. That's fastenedlikenails.net. What if you could learn from the creative minds and talents behind Lamplighter Theater? I've never seen anything like it. This summer, Lamplighter presents The Lamplighter Guild. A week of mentoring and apprenticeship in the dramatic arts. Learn script writing, music composition, sound design, directing, and voice acting from world-class professionals. Registration for the Lamplighter Guild is limited, so sign up today at lamplighter.net. Lamplighter.net.